Today in uh, the message, we're going to take a step back and look a little bit higher view of the book of Genesis. We're going to kind of cover one particular chapter, but it's going to kind of encompass the climax of several chapters uh, that we'll be covering. But before we do that, I want to let you know that we will be taking communion at the end of the service today. Uh, If you came through the door and somehow you snuck past one of our amazing deacons and did not get a communion cup, if you would like one now, just slip your hand up. They're still here waiting to serve you, um, as they always are. A great group of men who serve behind the scenes and do amazing amazing things uh, that uh, kind of never get recognized or noticed. And uh, so thank you, deacons, for covering that little bit of uh, logistics there to make sure that everyone has communion cups in their hand. There's several things that I want to say before we dive into the message today. And I believe the message today um, is very apropos for uh, where we find ourselves as a church in 2022. And uh, we'll get into that message in just a few moments. But couple things that I want to say. Uh, We, uh, as a church, are still trying to get over the facility use of over 400 kids being in our presence this week for Windshape Camp. We had over 400 children uh, every day, uh, five days, uh, Monday through Friday, with an amazing group of volunteers amongst you guys. Thank you for for all the serving you did to volunteer to make that happen. And uh, the kids had a blast. We made connections with some people in the community who who are not attending a church anywhere, who are now interested in a church. But probably greater than that, we had 19 children pray to receive Christ this week, uh, which is amazing. Out of those, there's another 25 kids who said that they're not really ready, but they would like to talk a little bit more about it. So we will be following up with them and their families um, as we get an opportunity to share the gospel with them. And that's really what it's all about. Um, But you may see a little bit of tape on the wall. You may see something on the floor that's out of place. You may see a lot of instruments missing on the stage. Whatever it may be, uh, it is because we pulled out all the stops and went from 8 in the morning till 5 at night with 400 kids. And uh, so it's, uh, it, was, it was amazing. It was great to have an opportunity to be able to serve in that way. And I'm thankful for it that the gospel was able to go forward. A lot of people who now um, have Peninsula on their mind, but more than that, the things of Christ on their mind. They were taking the truths of the gospel home to their families as well. And so we're very, very excited about that. Well, listen, um, I also want to say I know that uh, you know, Roe v. Wade was overturned this week, and I know that there's a lot of discussion. You can, however you feel appropriate, it's, it's one way or the other. Um, the work is still cut out for us. This, I think, may be a positive step to move things into what it needs to be. Um, it is now back in the hands of the state of what happens with, with abortion. And uh, I know that God's people will move appropriately in the future in that. But what I really want to say about it is um, if it keeps moving in the direction that it appears it will be moving, uh, God's people are going to need to step up and be ready to minister uh, to uh, women. And I want, you to, I want you to understand that God in his providence has brought Peninsula to a point to be at the ready 
we are standing poised to help any family who is seeking to adopt and then any woman who wants to put a child up for adoption, we're ready. We're organized. The uh, orphan care ministry team, the way home team is ready. We've got everything lined up. We're organized. And uh, God has done that, and he's got us to this point. And we know over the next year we're going to have some work cut out for us I'm hoping that you'll be in prayer for that, of how we might be able to minister to those who are hurting, confused, and upset about where things are going, um, and uh, just uh, have, an, have a heart of people not understanding God's plan, and have a heart to minister and love on them, right? And so that's, that's who we are as God's people. Um, we are uh, kind of uh, represented poorly sometimes in uh, the public eye that we are hateful. And uh, I wish people would get to know us a little bit better than that because we may say some hateful things sometimes, but many times that's just out of our own ignorance. Give us a chance. Uh, we will show you the love of Christ. And uh, I just kind of want to be public saying that, that our work's cut out for us. It's coming. And, uh, but God has in his goodness, his graciousness, his righteousness, and his mercy, and his providence aligned us to be ready to minister in some amazing ways uh, in the days to come. So ministry uh, never has been promised to be an easy gig to be a part of, and uh, it's going to be probably a little messy. It's going to be tough. It's going to be challenging, but we're up for it, right? We're God's people. We've got him on our side, and we, we should be able to serve into this community as he calls us to it. So I'm looking forward to the days to come. Uh, I will say that um, the Roe v. Wade overturning is not the only thing that happened in the news this week. There are other things that I feel like God is uh, calling us to. And I just wanted to say that, you know, you hear many times people say, we really want God to bless America. I mean, there's a song about it, God bless America. There's a lot of things about God bless the USA and all those types of things. But that my heart says that I'm calling on God's mercy to continue. I, I, I want him to show his mercy on America continually so that the gospel can continue to go forward. Uh, and we know that God is in control, and we're going to see a little bit today of God being in control. Even in the midst of the unrighteous, God is still moving things forward. And so we're going to look at, uh, continue in the book of Genesis today. Uh, it is clear that God does not need our help to fulfill his promises. That's what we've been seeing um, out of the book of Genesis. Time and time again, we see people who are honoring God, and God moves forward, and then we see people who dishonor God and God still moves forward. Um, he doesn't really need our help to make his will. He chooses to use us from time to time in the things that we're doing. And, and we're going to, look, I'm just going to kind of briefly talk about Genesis chapter 26. Genesis chapter 26 is a repeat uh, of Abraham. When Abraham went into Egypt, there was a famine in the land, and Abraham went into Egypt, and he lied about his wife being uh, that he wasn't married to her. He was just his sister. Well, Isaac and Rebekah find themselves in a famine, and they choose to leave the land. And guess what Isaac does? He repeats the same thing and lies about Rebekah being his sister. Um, uh, but the only difference in the account of what happened with Abraham and Sarah uh, with, with Isaac and Rebekah is that the Lord spoke into Isaac's life and said, do not go to Egypt. He actually changed his path to go to another place. And uh, he went into the land of the Philistines. 
If you ever wondered why the Philistines were fighting with Israel and uh, why they were saying it's, it's over, this might be some of it. Uh, God's people, the Israelites, were coming into the land of the Philistines and lying to them, you know, and creating problems. And so Isaac found himself meeting another Abimelech, and uh, then the Abimelech, uh, Pharaoh, uh, took his uh, wife as to be in his harem. And then he looked out and saw Isaac and Rebekah talking and laughing one day, and he put two and two together, and he went to Isaac and he said, you're married, what are you doing what are you doing to us? And so Isaac and the Pharaoh or Abimelech uh, made a pact with one another that there would be peace because Abimelech recognized God's working in Isaac's life. Even in the midst of that, God was still working in that. And then you see at the end of chapter 26, uh, you see that Esau which was, remember Jacob and Esau came into the world uh, and uh, Rebekah had gone to God because she had felt the twins wrestling in her, in her womb and she asked him about it. But you see at the end of 26 that Esau gets married and it really created a lot of difficulty for Isaac and Rebekah. Well, why is that? Well, it's because Esau actually went in and married Canaanite women. Now, I don't know if you remember in Genesis 9, the, the Can, Canaan was cursed after Noah. Do you remember that, that all happened? Noah said, cursed be you and you will always be against the, the people. So Esau actually went in and married from that line into that family. And what happened? Exactly what was told was going to happen. That if you engage in that particular line of family, there's going to be problems. And then you get to chapter 27. And we're going to use chapter 27 to, care, to cover the account of Jacob and Esau, which is actually over chapters 27 through 31, okay? I know I'm talking a lot. I know I'm hitting a lot of high-level things. It'll start coming together in just a few moments, so thank you for your patience as we get there. I want to remind you in chapter 25, verse 23, what was actually said of God to Rebekah about the two children that were in her womb that she was going to give birth to because you need to keep this in your mind as we're reading the account and the deceit that happens in chapter 27. All right, this is what it says. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. Now, this was God's word to Rebekah saying this is why they're fighting inside. They were fighting inside the womb before they even came out. Apparently, they fought their whole entire lives. And now we find in chapter 27 um, kind of the unfolding of a soap opera. I mean, we see a family uh, discord on epic proportions here. We see a family coming against one another that shouldn't be, but it is a result of what we see happening here uh, with people being de deceiving to one another within their own families. Let me pause there before we start reading the text and just say this. If you think we have trouble in our country among the believers and among the non-believers, do you not understand that that starts with the very fact that we have trouble in our own homes? Now, I want to foundation that out there. If we can't have peace in our own homes, how can we expect to have peace in our land? 
And, and this is a great illustration here of what we're going to see in chapter 27 of the things that we need to be watching for and looking out for. We're going to talk a little bit about how to have harmony in your home, what it takes to have harmony in your home. And I know parents are going, whoo, I've been waiting for this formula. You're right. Uh, unfortunately, there are some things, parents, that you can put in place and that you can do. And we try to do as a church to come alongside you and help equip you to be able to do those things. But I'm just going to tell you something. Your children have a mind of their own. And they're going to think the way they want to think and they're going to do the things they want to do. So children, listen to me. If you want peace and harmony in your home, it takes you also. You can't be pointing fingers at other people in your home and say, wow, you know, I, I just wish they would get their act together and then everything would be great. You've got to start with yourself. And we're going to see this in the text as we read it today and as it unfolds for us. This is Genesis chapter 27. I'm going to read just chunks of it, and we're going to stop and talk about those chunks because I think it has so much to do with where we are in our lives today. And then at the end, we'll circle back around and we'll see how this points to Christ. All of Scripture, by the way, hint, points to Christ. And I love that because he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so we're going to see how this comes back around to this. Genesis chapter 27, verse 1. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son... And he answered, here I am. He said, behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. I'm going to pause there and say that uh, Isaac actually lives 20 more years. We know of for sure 20 more years after this account that's going on. But he's feeling old, can't see good. He knows the end is coming. Verse 3, now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food, such as I love, and bring it to me, so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Okay, time out. What is going on here? Did we not just read in chapter 25 what God said was going to happen? Did we not know that before the children were even born that God spoke into their lives and said that the second born was going to be the one that was going to be the leader? I'm thinking to myself, Isaac, what, what is going on? Why are you choosing the blessing? Now you need to, I don't have time to go into it today, but you need to go back and study birthright and blessing. Which, by the way, interesting thought, the, in the original language, the, the, the syllables that were used for blessing and birthright are the same syllables that are coming together to make the name Rebecca. Interesting, huh? Isn't that, that to me is interesting. But go do a study on what blessing actually was. Uh, there, were, there was the home blessing of the birthright, but then there was the godly blessing uh, that was passing down from the promise that was given to Abraham. And it appears here that Isaac is going, hey, I know about this promise that was given to Abraham and that there's going to be a line, and so go make me some food, bring it back, I'll eat it, and I'll give you that blessing. And I'm thinking, what on earth, what was going on here, just to simplify it, is that Isaac was allowing his taste for his, stun, his son's stew and the strength that he saw in his son to lead him up down a path 
that was disregarding God's word. Are you catching that? He's allowing the, the hunger within his stomach. In fact, the New Testament talks about the hunger within the stomach or, or the desire in the stomach leads people. It's talking about we allow our hearts to get in control and to lead us regardless of what God's word is saying. I mean, it says that he's physically blind, but apparently at this moment, Isaac is also spiritually blind. Not only were his physical eyes dim, but the eyes of what he had on what God had promised were also dim. He was not seeing clearly. So what does this teach us? It teaches us this. Don't let the desires of the flesh in your life cancel God's word. We do it all the time. So let's not point fingers at Isaac and go, shame on you. We do this all the time. But look, this is kind of like brings power to this. Genesis 25, I don't know if you remember verse 28. It says, Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. He fell in love with this son. It, it, it says that, that he, he loved it. But Rebekah loved Jacob. This is a great warning to us that we sometimes can allow the desires of our flesh cancel out God's word. That's why we as a church and we as Christian homes struggle with one another because we allow the desires of the flesh to get in the way of what God's word says. The warning here about Isaac is a big billboard is written up there. Don't be this guy. We're not supposed to be that guy that allows our flesh to get in the way of God's word. Listen, if God's word speaks on something, it's final. But yet we kind of creatively try to weave around it because we have desires of the flesh that want to say, well, I think, I think maybe it says this. That goes all the way back to Genesis 3. Did God actually say do you, do you see the connection there of how that's constantly following us? Galatians 5.17 speaks of this. It says, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Those things that we want to do, those things we desire to do, it's what's pleasing to the eye and what's desirous to the temptation. And we start trying to creatively try to cancel out what God's word says. Listen, our appetite can and will lead us to contradict God's word. Our appetite can and will lead us to contradict God's word. We need to call ourselves out on that. And, and, and I'm talking to the believers it makes sense for someone who hasn't given their life to Christ to contradict God's word because people who don't see clearly because they're blind to their own sin because they have not had their eyes open to the grace of God yet, they have not given their life to Christ, it makes sense for those people to contradict God's word. But the struggle that's what's creating the problems in today's society are God's people who are contradicting God's word. And you say, well, you know, the book's kind of old and antiquated. I think going through the book of Genesis has shown us that it's appropriate for us today. 
the origins of the doctrines that we live in and believe in and walk on and stand on, the platform that we have as a being saved by the grace of Jesus Christ is just as appropriate and fitting into the culture today as it ever has been. And we don't need to be ashamed of the gospel. We don't need to be ashamed of the truth of what God's word says. We need to be willing to take a stand. We need to stop kind of being apologetic to, well, you know, I know this word kind of hurts. The Bible tells you it's like a double-edged sword. It, it cuts to the quick. It cuts to the bone and marrow. It cuts both ways. It, it's designed to do that with Galatians. It said to keep us from doing what we really want to do. Our human nature desires to go the opposite direction of what God has created because of the sinfulness and fallenness and the wickedness of our own heart. And we are all equally 100% in need of a Savior, and his name is Jesus Christ. We don't have to walk in that bondage of wanting to do the wrong thing. We're free to choose to do what God has called us to do. Amen? Isn't that an amazing truth that we get to walk in? And there are 19 more kids this week that get that freedom. That's, that's amazing. Now let's look at verse 5. Let's continue. The soap opera continues on. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Okay, first, Rebecca should have gone to Isaac and in love said, can I just remind you, I heard what you said, maybe I shouldn't have been eavesdropping on you, but I heard what you said, can I just remind you what God has already promised? Can, can I come alongside you and help you fix this? Can I, can I help you go back in the direction we should go. But instead, Rebecca schemes. The first thing she did wrong was to talk to her son about her spouse. Marriage tip. Never, never, never use your children to scheme against your spouse. Marriage tip number two, never, never, never use anyone in the world to scheme against your spouse. If you find yourself in a place in your home and in your marriage right now that you feel the need to scheme or to hide things, I'm going to tell you, in love, your marriage is in trouble and you need to seek help. We need, we need to know that. We need to call that out instead of, well, just things are kind of tough right now. Stop glossing it over. Let's, let's look at what Scripture's saying, what's happening here, and let's get help. Let's go speak with someone. Sit down in my office. Let's talk. Let's get both of you in the same room. When you committed in your marriage to that other person, you said for better or worse, not for better or better, but for better or worse, it is a covenant that God has brought together in your marriage. 
It is a covenant that means something that God has brought together, that he has glued together. It is an illustration of Christ and the church. That's what our marriages are supposed to be exemplifying to the world. Not the gimme, 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 gimme. Oh, you're not giving me anymore, so I'm going to go over here and get. That is the exact opposite of what God's word says. That's the desires of the flesh. And your marriage is in trouble if you find the need to scheme like that. Verse 9, go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that, you, that he may bless you before he dies. I want to pull out here kind of a higher level view of this of what it appears Moses, the author of Genesis, is doing here. He is showing us a comparison to the previous incidents that had already happened in the narrative of Genesis. He uses the same word on purpose. For instance, he uses in verse 8 where Rebecca says, obey my voice. That's listened to the woman, right? And God said to Abraham, because you have listened to the voice of Eve... Listened there was the same word, the same concept of obey what I'm saying. And Abraham listened to Sarah when he went into Hagar. He listened to the woman. The point here is not that he listened to a woman, okay? I'm not picking on women. The point that Moses is bringing out here is that they were listening to a voice that was not God's voice. And, and we are quick to listen to the voice that speaks the things we want to hear, right? Don't we? Don't we want to listen to the things that's going to tickle our ears? I'm, I'm going to come down here for just a second because I want to get on the same level with everyone because I want you to know that I'm on this same level, right? I, I just want to, I want to say this, and I want, I want, church, I want you to hear me on this. There are things that God's Word says that we kind of don't like. There are things that have been put as guardrails around our lives that we kind of go, yeah, I kind of really wish that wasn't like that. If we ask enough people and we talk to enough people, we will find someone that will show us how to get around what God's Word says. If we're choosing a certain lifestyle that is opposite of what God is saying we need to be living, we'll find people out there that are going to speak and encourage us in that, and it's going to be the opposite of what God's Word says. We need to be careful of whose voice we're listening to. Because I'm telling you, you will find someone that will help you make you feel okay about the desires of your heart. Can, can I just say that on the level that we're on? right, of where we are, I want to sometimes justify because I want to show love to people and say, well, you know, maybe they're struggling with this, maybe they're struggling with that, and I want to kind of justify it. And I have to remind myself, wait, 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 wait. Whose voice am I listening here to? God's word has spoken. When God's word speaks, it's final. Whether we like it or not, listen, there is truth that is outside of all of us, that God has established. There is not your truth and my truth, unless both of our truths line up with God's truth. But when they start going opposite direction, the only plumb line we have is God's word. 
we got to stop allowing the culture to tickle our ears so that we can justify the desires of our flesh, the things that we're drawing to. Listen, if I wanted to poison someone, I would not bring in a bowl of arsenic and say, dig in, that's arsenic, it's going to kill you. I would not do that. You know what I would do? I would lace it in a bowl of M&M's that looks good. How, how many of you can resist M&M's, right? Big bowl sitting there of M&M's, you know, you're kind of like just scooping them up and you think I'm just going to have one and then pretty soon you're eating like two or three and pretty soon you're like, who else helped me eat this bowl? And they say, no one, you like killed that thing. That's what I would do, and that's what the culture does, right? The culture kind of entices you and says, look at this beautiful thing. Look at this beautiful thing. Look at that thing that's intriguing. And it knows where to speak to us, too. It knows what the desires of our hearts are and and that we feel like we're justified. And it will speak into the needs that we have in our own lives. Listen, if you had a poor relationship with your parents at home as you were growing up, The culture knows this, and it's going to speak into things. It's going to pull on that emotional need you have in your heart, and it's going to try to fill that, and you're going to go, oh, well, there's a way that emotional need that's missing in my life can be filled, completely forgetting that Christ meets all of our needs. But we say, oh, there's a way, and we step into that, and we justify it, and then we want to blame our past. That's a whole other sermon. I'm going to... I'm, I'm never going to get past this if I don't move on, but I want us to kind of catch into the fact that the culture is enticing, and it wants to pull us in, and it's going to speak and tickle our ears and make us think that this is right and that's right, and we have to always come back to God's Word. I am confident that God wanted us to study the book of Genesis because he wanted us to know the origin of ourselves and the origin of his plan. You can't argue with God's word when it speaks so clearly on some things. Now listen, let's go on, verse 11. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man. Apparently, Jacob now, who has already robbed his brother out of his birthright because he sold him a pot of stew and said, give me your birthright. Jacob is already thinking in these ways, right? He's already in there. So his mind's already there. Rebecca is now enticing that thing that he, Jacob feels like he deserves and wants. So now she's enticing into it. He's already like a chess game thinking three moves ahead. And he's saying, perhaps my father will fill me and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, let your curse be on me. She's saying, it's worth it. Oh, ugh. let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go bring them to me. Now, let the curse be on me takes my mind to Matthew 27, verse 25, when all the people answered, his blood be on us and our children when they were seeking to crucify Christ. Verse 14 of chapter 27 in Genesis. So he went and he took them and he brought them to his mother. And his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on on the smooth part of his neck, and she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. The only other place in Scripture where skins were used to put on anyone 
was in Genesis 3 when God killed the animals to cover the shame of Adam and Eve. The only other place in Genesis where that's mentioned is there. Moses is bringing a direct parallel to the hiding of the shame and how it goes together. Eve took food. Adam listened to her voice. God clothed them with skins of an animal. You might say here, let's just take a little side note, kind of like a sidebar here for a second. You might say to yourself, well, you know, Rebecca, she seems to be scheming, yeah, but she's, she's trying to help Isaac get back on the right path. She's just kind of doing what God had already promised anyway. She was just, God had already said that Jacob was going to be the blessed one and that he was going to be the ruler. So she's trying to just help manipulate and and make that happen. (laughs) Another billboard, don't be this lady. It's, It's kind of a warning because she's using sin to try to correct sin. Never works in all of Scripture You'll never see in all of my life, you'll never see where sin was used to try to correct sin worked. And that's what she was doing. And our creative minds can be engaged in a way that challenges the Spirit of God. And if you're engaged in using sin to try to cover sin right now, it is my prayer for you that the Spirit of God will reveal that to you. That's a prayer that is worthy. God, if I've got any wrong way in me, show it to me so that I may put it out of my life and bring more honor and glory to you and to your word. It's interesting to me that everyone in this account is concerned about God's blessing, right? Aren't they concerned about God's blessing? with zero reference to God. Do you, do you not see this in the text here? They're concerned about the blessing and the promise that was given to Abraham and that blessing moving down through the line, but there's no reference to God in this whole entire soap opera of a family that we see unfolding. Now later, it's very interesting, this brought out in the law, Moses shows us that it is wrong to mislead the blind. What do you think he was referring to? We should honor our father and our mother. This is not honoring at all. Jacob is not honoring. Later Esau is not honoring. Do not bear false witness. There are four lies that Jacob tells the moment he enters the tent. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. He takes the Lord's name in vain as as he is being uh, talked to with his dad. Let's look at Genesis 27 verse 18. So he went into his father and said, my father, and he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. Lie number one. I have done as you have told me. Now sit up and eat my game. Lie number two. His mom fixed the meal, by the way. That your soul may Bless me. Hmm. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, In a blasphemous, blaspheming the word of the name of the Lord, because the Lord your God, and it's interesting, he says, The Lord your God, 
because the Lord your God granted me success. Wow. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. Isaac is suspect. I imagine if you got one guy who kind of lives around the tent and um, you got one guy that is a hunter and he's strong and gruff, probably their voices didn't match. But you say, well, that seems kind of, but haven't you picked up the phone from one of your children before and you think it's one child and you say their name and they go, no, it's not, I'm, I'm, it's the other one. I mean, it's easy to be fooled by the voices. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who at this point, when he realized he shouldn't speak anymore, he, he, who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. You'll notice in the rest of this, Jacob says very little. He doesn't speak anymore much after this. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother's, brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Lie number four. Then he said, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. And then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and he kissed him and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, this is the blessing. See the smell of my son is as the smell of the field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Curse be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. What we may miss here in this goes back to the blessing of Genesis 12, but it also looks forward to using some of the same language that happens when the blessing is given to Judah. This is a blessing that God is putting in place. But this is ultimately pointing to Christ. We'll get to that toward the end, but I just want you to know that this blessing is ultimately pointing to God still working in the unfaithfulness to bring about his plan. It seems so out of whack, doesn't it, that Jacob got blessed? In our thought process, he doesn't deserve this blessing at all. How can God continue to allow him to be blessed in this way? He went about it so wickedly and deceiving and even blaspheming the name of God and using the name of God in vain when it wasn't God that brought about this. But you need to understand something. In this account right here, this is how God brings us the gospel. This is the line of the plan that he brought. Remember, God created the heavens and the earth and Adam and Eve perfect. Genesis 3, we failed. So he kicks them out of the garden, and, and in that failure, he brings about a great flood in Noah, and he does a massive reboot of all society, and we failed. And then he comes to the Tower of Babel, where people are trying to be themselves like God and reach to God, and he disperses all the people out across the land, and when that happens, he says, failure, failure, 
going to change it and do it different. I'm going to bless a, name, a man named Abraham, and I'm going to bring it all the way down through the line to Jesus Christ. And I'm going to do that regardless of how my people respond to the plan that I have. This account brings you and me the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we look at this and say, how can the wickedness still be used by God, we tend to sometimes forget our own. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Timothy 1, verses 12 through 15. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Amen to that. (laughs) I mean... I mean, listen, church, we need that kind of grace and mercy in Jesus Christ. And if Paul himself, who's considered such a great apostle, recognizes his great need for a Savior, I certainly do as well. Let's look at Esau's response because I want to speak into this a little bit before we kind of conclude things here together. In verse 41, now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching, then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, uh, the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she went and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice, arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? She realizes now she has lost her her kids. Listen. This is ironic. That's what a good soap opera does anyway, right? It's so ironic. Rebecca schemed to get the very thing that she had already been promised by God to get anyway. Huh? Can't you see that clearly? No, we can't sometimes. That's why we need to lean into God's word. Listen, if Esau would have been a believer of God, he would have been told what Isaac and Rebekah were told before they were born. Jacob is going to be the one that's blessed, and he's going to be the line that brings about the one who is going to crush the head of the serpent. And, and if Esau would have been a believer, he would have said, then I need to align myself with that. Because the blessing says, I will curse those who curse you, and I will bless those who bless you. He needed to snuggle up beside Jacob and say, I'm going to bless you any way I possibly can, because if I choose to do that, I am promised a blessing as well. We tend to do that to Christ, though. Christ has promised blessing, 
And we're fighting for the very thing that has been promised to us if we give our lives to Christ. We are fighting for that feeling of freedom and that, free, that feeling of I can be whoever I want to be. We're fighting for that. And Jesus has said, I will give you purpose and meaning and freedom in your life if you will stop pushing against me and just receive me into your life. We're doing the exact same thing if we are pushing against who Christ is, stiff-arming him, saying, I don't need Christ. I can do this on my own, and, and it's no way that Christ is the only way to God. And we fight against that. We fight against that, but we're still seeking for the very thing that Christ can offer, peace within, freedom from guilt and shame, forgiveness for our past errors. But yet we want to kill it. The only thing that will bring harmony in a family is a common embrace of the purpose of God and the plan of God. A common embrace of God's word is the only thing that brings peace and harmony in a family. So parents, look to God's word and lean into it. Children, look to God's word and lean into it. Bring yourself on the same page in harmony with God's plan. What we love is the gospel, the common call to Christ to know him and to make him known. We should love Jesus, love like Jesus, and teach others to do the exact same. All Esau wanted was the material blessing. He really wanted nothing from God. He wanted the material blessing, and we see that in Hebrews 12, verses 15 through 17. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he, was desire, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears." And what that means there, don't misread, that's kind of a, a rough translation of what's actually being said there. What it means was is Esau had no room in his heart for repentance. We find ourselves as a culture right now with things seeming to be swinging a little bit in the other direction. We need to be on our face before the Lord in repentance. That we can say to God, Please continue to show your mercy on us. Mm -hmm.